Recovery Elevator, episode 250. After a while, you, you turn that part of yourself off. You don't want to let people in. You don't want to get close to people because it, it just hurts too much. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Dee. She's 50 years old. She took her last drink on January 17th, 2019. She's from Albuquerque, New Mexico. In her interview, she talks about how she became a pro drinker at age 25. She also talks about how she can see, in almost real time, how the changes in her life are happening to accommodate her goal of sobriety. Yep, I'll piggyback off last episode. Her how to quit drinking has arrived. We've got our fourth Cafe RE group starting January 1st, 2020. I can't think of a better time to build that community, accountability, and get your new life started. All right, so I said to myself, if I hear one more time how cool Australia is, well, I think I'm just going to go there. So that's what happened. And we should meet in person. Okay, so we're doing a meetup in Sydney, Australia on Saturday, December 14th. We're going to meet at the Surf Fish Cafe at Bondi Beach at noon, followed by some additional activities. And then I'm organizing another one in the Brisbane slash Gold Coast area for Saturday, December 21st. I do need a head count, so if you'd like to attend, please email info at recoveryelevator.com and Carrie will get you on the list and we'll get you more information of where we're going to meet and when. So if you're in Australia within a couple hundred mile radius or you want to get on a quick flight, come meet us in person because I would love to meet you. These meetups are so much fun. And before we get any further in this episode, let's hear from today's sponsor, HelloFresh. Home-cooked meals made simple. HelloFresh makes cooking delicious meals at home a reality, regardless of your comfort in the kitchen. Say goodbye to endless grocery store trips and takeout food. HelloFresh has you covered. Make deliciousness part of your every week. There's something fun for everyone, from family recipes to calorie smart and vegetarian, and fun menu series like Hall of Fame and Kraft Burgers. Break out of your dinner rut with HelloFresh's 20-plus chef-curated recipes each week. HelloFresh has more five-star recipes than any other meal kit, so you know you'll get something delicious. HelloFresh is flexible and fits your lifestyle. Easily change your delivery days, food preferences, and skip a week whenever you need. When drinking, we deprive the body of vital nutrients, and proper nutrition is key. My favorite meal with HelloFresh is the chicken cheddar fajitas. Prep time was 10 minutes, and it was super fun to make. Right now, you can get nine free meals with HelloFresh by going to HelloFresh.com forward slash RecoveryFresh9 and use the code RecoveryFresh9. That's the number nine. Again, you can get nine free meals by going to HelloFresh.com forward slash RecoveryFresh9 and then use the promo code RecoveryFresh9. Okay, let's get started. In this episode, I want to give you an honest idea of what you can expect in a life without alcohol. If you follow some influencers on social media, especially Instagram, you probably have a belief, and by this time it may be unconscious, that an alcohol-free life consists of daily double rainbows. Unicorns will replace Ubers. You're going to be falling in love with yourself daily while hiking to crisp alpine lakes. 
You're going to tell your boss to F off and then vacation in Barcelona for two weeks. Welcome back, beach bod. You're going to have limitless energy. You're going to dance your ass off front row at all concerts. You're going to meet the love of your life, and sobriety is going to be 24-7 laughter. So, is this an accurate description of what sobriety is? Removing alcohol from your life will simplify things. Your life will improve. I don't know about you, but the mental energy dedicated to when I was drinking, how much, how to moderate, when to stop, what days to not drink, what days to drink, what to drink, who to hide it from, how to not have a crushing hangover, what app can help me keep my BAC level in the legal range before driving, and those apps never worked. Do I? Well, the apps worked. I just couldn't work with the app. And then you think, do I use a vacation day because I'm too hungover for work? Do I smell like alcohol? Will my significant other know? Blah. Insert barf emoji here. Studies show that small decisions take up equal brain wattage as the big ones. And right there, simply not drinking frees up so much mental bandwidth. You don't have to deal with any of that bullshit that I just mentioned. So when we quit drinking, sleep should start balancing out. Your biological clock will begin to recalibrate. You'll save a lot of money. You'll be more present in your relationships. And quitting drinking will eliminate the chance for some truly awful shit to happen. You're probably not going to get a DUI. You're not going to Ralph at book club. You're not going to be sent home from work or fired for showing up smelling like booze or showing up drunk. You're probably not going to be involved in a hit and run. You're not going to get a drunken public infraction, and you're not going to die in a drunken death. Your entire system, the body and mind, will reach a new homeostasis where alcohol is no longer part of the arsenal for well-being. And listeners, this can and will take time. And sometimes this period is called pause. I've heard it called post-acute withdrawal syndrome, but please never use the word syndrome. And then I've heard it called post-acute withdrawal symptoms. That's a little better. But I'm going to narrate this as just healing symptoms. And I actually do a video on this pause, these healing symptoms. It's on YouTube. And there will be a link to this YouTube video in the episode 250 show notes. Thank you, Carrie, for doing that. This period of recalibration where you're going to be experiencing these healing symptoms usually lasts anywhere from three to six months, sometimes a little longer. But again, do not attach the word syndrome. Don't say that something is wrong, that something is malfunctioning. Your body is simply recalibrating, getting dialed back into a natural homeostasis. So with the elimination of the toxin alcohol, with things improving in your life, this could be called the pink cloud. I experienced this for roughly six to eight months, both times when I quit drinking, once in 2010 and the second time around in 2014. Not everyone experiences the pink cloud, but if you do find yourself feeling euphoric, that life is so much better without alcohol, this is the time to get down and do the work, to start building that in-person network, exploring different recovery options and tools. Okay, so you remove alcohol from your life and you're experiencing perhaps some post-acute withdrawal symptoms, some healing symptoms, and also some of the other benefits that I mentioned. So what else can happen? Um, it seems like quitting drinking is a no-brainer, according to every Instagram channel you follow. Well, as Gary Zukoff says in his book, In the Seat of the Soul, addictions represent part of the personality that are in most need of healing. When we quit drinking, 
we begin to heal parts of the psyche that have been screaming for attention for years. And we've responded to those calls with more and more and more booze. Well, this inner voice becomes louder and louder until we have to listen. So you quit drinking. And yes, you'll experience the benefits mentioned in this episode previously, but you'll begin to address and butt up against the source of discomfort, as in the why or the reason behind your drinking. Whether it's trauma from childhood, feelings of unworthiness, self-loathing, shame, guilt, the whole gamut, it has to be addressed. And for many, this pathway is so far outside the comfort zone that they never quit drinking. But I know you're not in this cohort because you're listening to this podcast. I recently came across a blog about someone's experience in sobriety, and here's what she had to say. Sobriety doesn't fix anything. When I quit drinking, our relationship got much worse before it could even begin to get better and recover. A picture of a sunrise with a snappy caption is an indignity to the couples trying to hold their families together in sobriety. First off, thank you for being real. I agree, but I've also been doing this long enough to see things a little differently. Oh yeah, and heads up listeners, next episode will be about what happens when a spouse quits drinking. The episode will be geared towards both parties. I've had several requests for the topic and I'm excited to cover it. So when you remove alcohol in your life, things will get loud. The intensity of everything will be amplified. It may seem like you're sitting next to a screaming baby for the first several months alcohol-free. It may also feel like you're seeing a sunset or sunrise for the first time with a new set of eyes or with a different level of consciousness. You're going to be ripping the band-aid off several arenas in your life. You'll be given a new lens to see what's working and not working in life. Without alcohol, people, places, things, thoughts, behaviors, and actions can no longer hide. You're no longer unconscious of them. And when we shine the flashlight of awareness on these areas of life that need addressing, then we can no longer ignore them. At first we try, but by design, those issues will continue to show up until you've properly dealt with them. If you're drinking to avoid the anxiety, well, quit drinking and the anxiety will improve, but you're going to have to face what causes the anxiety. If you're drinking to avoid depression or to address depression, without the alcohol, which is a depressant, the depression will improve. However, you'll need to face what's causing the depression. You see what I'm getting at here? And overall, if you find yourself with a drinking problem, you're afraid of something. I can't think of a softer way to say that, and I'm not going to bullshit you. I personally was afraid of so much. You're going to face fear, and you're going to consciously choose to face it. You will be given ample opportunities to give up control, aka surrender. Perhaps the biggest, you'll be nudged into the unknown, which is a beautiful tipping point where we rely less and less on the analytical processing machine called the thinking brain. It's this brain, after all, that got us into the dilemma that we find ourselves in in the first place. Overall, we change our fuel source. We will no longer make decisions based on fear, but out of love. Getting the unconscious programs on board with that new trajectory in life takes time, work, and can be difficult at times. Here's some good news. 
you'll only be given what you can handle or process. At times, you may feel your plate is completely overburdened. In fact, that plate might crash to the ground, but that's what's supposed to happen. You will only be given what the circuits in your body can handle at that given moment. Then you will build more circuitry in the body. The mind will find a new coherence with these circuits, resulting in a new homeostasis. So I have heard of those stories where people quit drinking and everything falls into place for eternity. But those are usually on Instagram or I hear those in passing. And the more I get to know some of these people in person, I witness that they are also going through tremendous personal growth that can be tough. Now let me be clear, and I can't speak for everyone, this has been the most difficult journey I could have chosen. However, I can definitively say, hands down, it has been the most beautiful. Would I change a thing? And this isn't me tossing rainbows out in podcast form. No, I wouldn't. I'd do it all over again. Who knows? Maybe I'd do it every time. You dig? You jive with what I'm saying? I've done my best to be authentic about this journey in podcast form. Episode 118 was about the depression I was experiencing at the time, and that was called The Black Dog. Episode 170 covers the meltdown I had on Super Bowl Sunday. This meltdown, however, was a melt-in. It was the first time I fully let those emotions express themselves. The result led me to plant medicine ayahuasca, which completely transformed my life, led me down a completely different pathway. Episode 243, this is where I was talking about how I was dealing with stress, how the body was craving the chemicals of the old self. I've had wonderful days on this journey. I've also had the opposite of that on this journey. However, what has been building for quite some time and continues is the inner joy, the heart area warmth glow, that regardless of what's happening in the external environment, I'm cool. It doesn't really matter. It can't shake me like it used to. The further you go without drinking, and as you build more emotional awareness, you'll be able to process more, aka release more energy that is no longer serving you without attachments or labels. So this past August, after the Recovery Elevator Retreat, I had an intense week where the body was releasing energy that no longer was serving me. Space needed to be created in the body and the mind for what's next. Some of these emotions were intense. And I remember at a crescendo, I said to myself, whoa, that was a good one. Holy buckets, you got me good. And here's the cool part. I didn't label any of it. It was felt with a label of non-attachment, which I hadn't experienced before. In fact, I even flirted with asking for more to speed up the process. The body knew exactly what it was doing, and I've trained the mind to take a seat and let it happen. And guess what? I feel so much better, as in this past two months have been so good, almost euphoric, especially in the heart region. So you've got two choices, and I know the outcome of one. The first choice, keep drinking. And this is the one I know how it ends. There will be a painful progression Whatever emotions and physical repercussions you're experiencing now will only be enhanced in time. External ramifications will also increase. And then you have a second choice. That's to quit drinking and embark on the most heroic journey one can take in this life. And that's the pathway to wholeness. You've got options. That's the good news. 
and you don't have to decide today. So sit with this one for a moment. It's up to you. I'm going to love you either way. And before we hear from D, let's hear from another sponsor, Honey. Giving holiday gifts is great. Overspending on all those gifts is definitely not. So why spend more than you have to? Finding the lowest price is easy if you have Honey. Honey is a free browser extension that automatically finds the best promo codes whenever you shop online. This means you always get the best deals without even trying on over 20,000 sites such as Amazon, eBay, J.Crew, Sephora, Expedia, Target, Best Buy, and more. I recently bought some sunglasses for my brother for Christmas at Target.com. Uh, I hope my brother's not listening. And Honey saved me $7.65. I was pumped. Honey has found its over 10 billion members over a billion dollars in savings. Honey supports over 20,000 stores online. Honey has over 100,000 plus five-star reviews on the Google Chrome store. If you're buying gifts this holiday season, then you need Honey. If you're not, you probably know someone who is, so do them a solid and tell them about Honey. Honey can help make sure that you're getting the best price for whatever you're buying. It's free to use and installs in just two clicks. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com elevator. That's honey.com forward slash elevator. D, how are you? I am fantabulous, Paul. How are you doing today? D, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Well, let's get right into this. When was your last drink? That would be January 17th, 2019. At the time of this recording, you've got over nine months. How does it feel? Oh, Paul, I can't even tell you. I'm just so much happier, probably happier than I've uh, been since I was a kid. That is amazing. And Dee, I have had the pleasure of meeting you in person, and it's been fantastic to have a front row seat watching you log this time away from alcohol, seeing your growth, seeing your progression into this new life. Um, and we're going to talk about the change that perhaps you've been asking for and now you have received. Um, but before we get into that, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, you have a family, and most importantly, Dee, what do you like to do for fun? All right, so I am 50 years young, just turned 50 this year. I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I get to purchase things for the federal government. Lots of fun there. And let's see, for fun, I like to walk, hike, bike, do meetups with my fellow sober peeps. And uh, yeah, just I just like to be outdoors. Speaking of outdoors, before I hit the record button, apparently it's Balloon Fest weekend in, in Albuquerque. Tell me more about yes. that. So this is my first, I just moved here to Albuquerque, so this is my first balloon fiesta. And apparently there's balloons that and people come in from all over the globe to do this big uh, festival. And there will be hundreds and hundreds of balloons starting Friday for like two weeks. They'll have special events. They'll have glow balloons. And I get to see it all from my front door. Wow, that's got to be a good lesson on control, trying to control a bunch of balloons in the air with <laughs> yeah. wind. And not crash into each other. It's yeah, you've got the best seat for that, just at your front door in a chair. <laughs> I know, it's pretty rough. Yeah. All right, D. Well, let's get up to speed with your journey. Give listeners background with your drinking. When did it start? How much did you drink? Did you ever attempt to moderate? When did you first realize that alcohol wasn't serving you in the fashion that you had hoped? Did you have any rock bottom moments? Take your time with this and try to give us ages or dates so we're chronologically up to speed. Um, I'm excited to hear it. All right. So I probably, well, I'll, I'll start early childhood, not like too early, but my parents would, at holidays, 
let us have the delicious cold duck. I mean, fantabulous stuff if you've never had it. And so we'd get a little glass and, you know, have a little cheer. You know, that started probably when I was around 10. So, But I never cared to go finish the rest of it out of the fridge. It was disgusting. And like any other high schooler, I tried beer. My first friend that went to college, we went to a frat party when we visited her. And we all got inebriated, like, badly. We were sitting on the floor in the bathroom in one of the dorms just bawling our eyes out. Yeah, it was out of control. And, but after that, I didn't like really drink, you know, I, I was of the mindset, like I'm not 21, I shouldn't really be drinking. So I really didn't, but I don't know what happened when I turned 21. I just, uh, I got on it, got really good at drinking and socializing. And like, you know, we've heard the story so many times that, you know, it took, you know, the anxiety. I mean, I've always been a very sociable person, but it just took the inhibition of, you know, not being enough away from me. So let's go a little deeper in that. Tell me more about the feeling of not being enough and how alcohol seemed to fix that. Well, I think for me, you know, I've always been an athlete and very active in sports and, uh, considered as they like to say a tomboy, you know, I, I, you know, put a dress on me. Okay. But don't ask me to wear them every day type of girl. I'm just, I'm, I'm a casual kind of girl. And so their perception is that, you know, as somebody who didn't dress up in, in, you know, I grew up in the eighties. So, you know, it was all about the look. And so I think that, you know, guys didn't take an interest in me as much. So the drinking kind of just made me more flirtatious and let those walls down to, to be more of a flirt, to get guys to pay attention to me. And was there a moment in particular when, when you consumed alcohol, you said, Oh, this is connecting the dots. Like I feel whole inside. This is what I've been missing. Oh, totally. It was probably my junior or senior year of college, and they had a dance contest. And I had my what I call my outfit on. I don't remember exactly what it was, but, you know, I looked good in it. I rocked it. And so I ended up, like, just dancing up a storm, doing splits. I mean, I was just, you know, and I won. And uh, it was uh, the actual, <laughs> it was just funny. It, I mean, I won, and that just kind of made me, like, be like, wow you know, I'm noticeable now. Yeah. It sounds like a solidified a partnership with alcohol. Oh yeah, definitely. When I became a pro at drinking was when I turned uh, 25, my dad got sick and he, he died basically from heart attack. He had a massive heart attack and died. And so I knew that if I didn't switch, you know, if I didn't like get off beer you know, I was going to become an alcoholic in my head. And I knew this at the time. So I switched to hard liquor because, you know, I didn't really drink it at the time. You know, talk about switching up, uh, <laughs> switching up flavors. But then a month and a half later, my husband died. Oh, wow. To, to yeah. both of those. Yeah. Life, uh, life happened to you big time in your mid twenties. And I imagine it, alcohol played a, an important role with this process. Uh, it, incredibly, you know, I didn't get to even like blink before I, you know, I didn't get to process my dad's death. And then when my husband died, I had just started a brand new job. I lived in a state where I knew nobody. I didn't have any family or friends around me and it was really hard. So yeah, I dove into the booze. I basically didn't want to live at that time uh, because it just, it just hurt so much. So I, I just drank and drank and drank and 
luckily at the job I was at, there were some good people that, you know, kind of took me under their wings and, you know, helped me through that process. I never sought counseling, you know, because why would I think about that? I had Jack Daniels. Um, sure. Counselor. It's really good one, that guy. And so, yeah, so I continued to drink, you know, for several years very heavily. And and then as I made friends and, you know, kind of got back to, to whatever you want to call normal uh, living, you know, I still drank a lot, but it wasn't it wasn't to die, you know, or to just, you know, wanting to, quote unquote, kill myself with booze. It was just it became more back like it was, you know, it was, it was fun. I was going out with friends and, you know, those kind of things. So after you get some distance from 25, when your father passes away and your husband passes away in a relatively short time frame apart from each other, did the drinking go back down to normal levels? Is that what I'm hearing? Or did it like ramp up, but you were drinking, but not in a way to fully escape? Yeah, it, it ramped up. I mean, but it wasn't it, it, it eased. I, I would say that it kind of went back to a normal I'm in my 20s party mode not a I got to get drunk every night type of thing gotcha. so yeah it definitely ebbed and flowed from there okay and you're not an alcoholic because you're no longer drinking beer <laughs> but you're rocking it oh, yeah. with the, yeah. with the hard stuff your counselor Jim Bean and Jack Daniels I think that's what you said Jack Daniels yeah there we go <laughs> yeah. counselor Jack a quick yeah. question before you you continue do you did you feel that you properly grieved went through that process or was some of the, some of that grief that wasn't fully emitted from your body still with you for later on periods in your life? Oh, definitely. I, I didn't, I didn't grieve properly. I didn't know how, I mean, who knows how to grieve all of that. And, you know, I was just recovering from all of that and it was like, Oh, okay. You know, I'm, I'm finally living life. And then, you know, four years later, my, that time, my only niece, uh, or no, my niece, my oldest niece committed suicide. Oh my gosh. And, and D I'm going to interject and in, I'm not a grief counselor, but you right. said, who knows how to deal with that? And I fully agree with that statement. However, I feel the body knows how to deal with the grief, but when we put alcohol in the body, there's no chance we can allow the body to do its natural processes. No, because we don't think that, you know, at least for me, I, I didn't think I could go on. I mean, my heart was literally crushed. I mean, every day I woke up, it felt like there was a, you know, a, you know, several thousand pounds cement, you know, block on my heart, you know, because it hurts so much. After a while, you, you turn that part of yourself off. You don't want to let people in. You don't want to get close to people because it, it just hurts too much. And this might sound strange for me to say on this podcast, D, you were in so much pain, an unfathomable amount of pain that I can't even imagine. And you found a coping strategy called alcohol. And like I said, it's going to sound weird to me to say nice job for finding that magical elixir, but it worked. It got you through this period of life. That's how I feel about it. What's yeah. your take on that? So I would say it allowed me to manage getting up every day. It allowed me to manage coming home to an empty home and walking through a door with, with you know, a cat screaming at me because the cat was like, what's going on? Where is he? You know, the animals know everything. You know that with them. And, you know, I just, I, it was just hard. It was just hard. But it allowed me to sleep. Uh, it allowed me to escape and just not have to deal with everything, even though that's not necessarily the right answer for me at the time, though, it was. Wow. And so in your, in your 30s and 40s, um, what role did alcohol play in your life then? 
So uh, after my niece passed away, you know, I continued drinking, but it was it was it was just like I would say normal. I lived in Florida at the time, you know, where it's just it's 24 seven, you know, it's it's beach time, man. Uh, you got to you got to got to go have beers. You got to go to football games. You got to, you know, uh, do all that stuff. So I would say it kind of just flexed back to a normal thing. I didn't drink every day until I did. And at that time I was living with somebody and, you know, we broke up and I realized I was starting to think, you know, I've got a problem with this booze stuff, but you know, I didn't do anything about it cause you know, whatever. And I just made so many stupid decisions, choices, you, you know, the drill, it's just, you make bad decisions. So I'll fast forward. I think I was 30, Two thirty-three at the time, and I ended up moving to Atlanta for a company I used to work for, and I decided I needed to quit drinking. So, like, I quit for seven months. And this is um, age thirty-two. Yeah, thirty-two, and I went to AA, but it was so depressing to me. And uh, I mean, the people were nice; they were, but it was just, it was not my jam, and. And so I just, you know, it just wasn't for me. And I continued to go to the meetings, though, just because that's what I knew of back then. There wasn't there wasn't what we have now. There wasn't RE. There wasn't all these options. But I can I continue to do the meetings. And then one night I was out with a friend and, you know, I was you know, I could go to bars. No problem. I didn't drink until somebody said, hey, some some guys offered us a free bottle of Dom Perignon. Well, I couldn't pass that up. And my friend's like, are you sure? You know, you don't drink anymore. I'm like, well, yeah, it'll be fine. And there we went with drinking again. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I continued with that. You know, I, I, I always knew I shouldn't drink. And that was has been on my heart for a long time. And I'll fast forward to when I first joined RE. This is when my drinking really started to escalate was last last year, 2018. I was drinking a lot. And I was in an unhappy marriage and it, that was my escape, but it got to the point where I couldn't stop, even though I didn't want to drink, I was compelled to. And so what really, you know, last June, I joined Cafe RE for the first time, June, 2018. And cause I knew that I needed to quit drinking. And so I, I did. I did until the mind, like what you're talking about moderating, I couldn't, I was like, I can moderate. I can just drink when I go on vacation. Well, that turned into, I left Cafe RE. I drank for about four more months up until like January 17th of this year and realized that, nope, really, I can't do this. And I didn't want to enter my 50th year of life doing what I'd always done because I already knew how to drink. I already knew what all the experiences were with that. So I wanted to try to do 50 different. And Dee, I want to drill a little deeper into something you just said about a minute ago. And we've heard this on the podcast often and everybody reaches this moment. It's you get to a point where you don't want to drink anymore, but you don't think you can stop or you don't feel you can stop, but you know, you can't move forward in this trajectory. I'll be honest. It's a painful spot. 
and I want to see how that spot was for you, but it's also a beautiful moment in the journey because you can no longer go back. You can, but this is, I did the podcast probably 10 episodes ago where alcohol has been ruined for me. <laughs> that is where the intention has been set to quit. And we find ourselves in almost like this purgatory of this journey where we know we have to quit drinking, but we don't think we can. And that's okay. Um, because the why, like I say, is way more important than the how the how will always solve itself. But how did you feel when you were in that moment when you knew you had to stop, but you didn't think you could? I would say I was in a desperate place and not desperate from the point of I knew that within me I, I could do this, but it was more of everything that was in my life, every person um, that I interacted with on a, a daily basis, not every person, but the majority drank. And so I was my biggest thing was not having a support system and you know fighting that battle of doing things alone again and i know we don't have to do them alone which is why i became a member of re because i knew i needed something i needed accountability i needed community um everything that you said you know about it's about connection and for most of my life i've just isolated when i feel hurt or angry or sad or you know instead of reaching out to people i just isolate and so it was for me, it was either I'm going to do this or I'm never going to do this and I'm going to be miserable and I'm going to be like every other old person I see at the local pub just still drinking in my 70s, you know, if I made it that long. And I, I didn't want that life. So in the moment when it's murky, it's cloudy, there's a lot of fog in our life when we don't know if we can quit, but we know we can't go moving forward with it. There are moments of clarity, like you just said, you can play the tape forward and see the trajectory of your life. And when I reached that moment, um, there was actually this phrase that I typed up and pinned on my, on my cork board that says, if you want this, this referring to alcohol, then you can't have that, <laughs> that referring to a happy, joyful life. So if you want this, you can't have that. And if you want that, the happy, joyful life, you can't have this. And I was able to see it clearly. Look, I have, and I don't really want to say it's a choice. But I'm going to say that right now. I had the choice. I, I could pick two pathways, um, and it was difficult. But soon as the momentum kept going that I wanted to quit drinking, the why was set, the how solved itself, And which sounds like was the same case for you at the end of 2018 and in January 17th was your last drink. Was there an emotional rock bottom, or were there actually other rock bottoms in your external world? All right. So, you know, I, I skipped a long chapter of my life in this whole process, but the biggest thing for me was I've known for a long time, you know, we all talk about high, you know, we talk about higher power. My higher power is God. And I fought with him and wrestled with him for like 20 plus years about this because I knew that that's not what I was supposed to be doing because I knew I wouldn't have the full and fruitful life that he wanted for me. And it was exhausting having one foot, you know, you know, in the drinking party world and the other foot in I go to church and, and do all these other things, and I just couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take being split and separated, and it was just like, I, it was either, I was, like I said, I was just going to go one way or the other, and I chose life. I, I chose life to do it as hard as it may be, to feel the feels, to do all the things I'd never done before, because I already, like I said, knew what it felt like when I was drinking. I had no idea what feeling feelings were sober no clue indeed i like how you said the split and we all reach that split where in the morning we wake up and say i'm done drinking for the rest of my life 
And later that day, or perhaps later in the week, we end up drunk and saying, what the hell happened? That split is painful. That's when the conscious mind and the unconscious mind aren't operating in tandem. And there's the cognitive dissonance. And this is all part of the journey. I've only met a few who have made the decision to quit drinking and never looked back. So what this looks like for the majority of people is that split continues to be a split until you know, imagine it like a fulcrum, like a, like a seesaw. Eventually you'll reach a tipping point. Go back like 20 episodes. I cover that. It's just called the tipping point where the energetic momentum to move forward in life without alcohol um, becomes greater than the addiction. Um, and that doesn't mean you're done drinking forever, but after that happens, it's pretty much game over. And like you said, you made the conscious decision to feel life at face value without the alcohol. And how was that? Well, it's been quite the incredible nine months. I have had a lot of things thrown at me. And, you know, my, my sister's husband passed away in March. I was able to be there for her and her family sober and be present for them, which was such a blessing. I filed for divorce. I took a new job. I moved to a new state. And all of this stuff has been hard, but I knew that when I moved, I couldn't do what I used to do. Like I, I've had like occasion when I first, my first weekend here by myself in Albuquerque, I was like, Oh yeah, I can just go to the bar, blah, blah, blah to meet people. Oh, wait a minute. I don't do that anymore. And I was okay with that. And so it's, it's been such massive growth to be okay with who I am without alcohol. Do you also left out your cat? Yeah, I know. I lost my Sydney girl like two weeks after I brought her down here from Colorado, she, she got sick and um, I had to put her down. And that's really been hard for me because she, she was, you know, the love that I needed, but that's okay. I'm blessed to be able to be joyful, even with all the things that have been going on that make me sad because I have community and connection. Now I have my friends from RE uh, that I interact with on a daily basis. I have the community that's supportive of me. And, you know, that's made the difference. D, let's dive a little deeper into this change. For what I'm hearing, after you quit drinking on, the, on January 17th, 2019, you have a new job. You live no longer in Colorado. You now live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's a new location. You filed for divorce um, and you lost your cat. So those first three I, I want to chat about. So when we make this decision to quit drinking and we set this intention, the why, the, the why is more important than how will solve itself. And you can call it a higher power, what you want. And it is a higher power in, in most regards, but it's also the energetic vibrations are no longer in alignment. Your body will say, look, this job just doesn't feel right. Look, this, 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 this partnership that I'm at in this job, this location doesn't feel right. And you're listening, your body's coming online and you're listening to that. Well, what's your take on that first off of what is, what is causing this change? Cause that's, that's a huge change in life. And then has the mind tried to intervene and, and label it and say like, oh, this is what's going on or this is wrong. Things are malfunctioning. I can't handle this. Well, for me, I, I had been praying for a long time about my relationship. I tried different things with, you know, with my ex, you know, let, let's go to counseling, you know, went to one session. He didn't care about that. So, you know, realistically, I was on my own little island and. I've been praying for change and I knew that this change needed to happen actually when I met you the first time in Nashville and I, I was, I knew what I needed to do 
uh, but I still hadn't gotten the proverbial balls to do it yet. But as things progressed, I happened to be in Massachusetts for my niece's graduation from college, and uh, I had a job interview. And I, everything in me was like, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this interview, because I knew deep down that I would get the job, and that would force me to do all the things that I'd been saying I wanted to do, but I hadn't done yet. And that's what happened. So... <laughs> So I believe that God provided me the opportunity to follow through and to really follow through with change and to do it and not have the crutch of alcohol to fall back onto, but to be able to lean into people and to lean into him and to just take life on in a new direction and without alcohol. And it's not easy, but I wouldn't want it any other way. So, D, it sounds like you were entering the scariest, most uncomfortable area in life called the unknown. How is this going? And it sounds like you got one uh, tool by your side, which is trust. For me, it is going well. It's um, like even right now, uh, the joy that I have inside is it's it's hard to control at times. And, you know, like it makes me want to cry, but in a good way, not a a sad way, which is such a total shift. And the trust that I have in where my life is going, even though I don't know the outcome, it's just, I can't, it's any, the only word I could really probably say, it's amazing. And I'm not afraid. And listeners, one of the reasons why departing from alcohol can be a challenge to say the least is we're entering the unknown. And this is making change in anybody's life. Sometimes people stay in relationships, both male and females, that are verbally abusive, physically abusive. Outside looking in, it's a no-brainer. You need to leave, need to quit drinking, need to lead to depart from this action, this thought, etc. But when we enter the unknown, it becomes scary because identities are stripped, routines are stripped, all kinds of things that are familiar to us, those territories are all gone. And so, D, I'm just going to give you a nice job right now for having the courage to enter the unknown. And what are some obstacles you found the way? Do you still experience cravings? Has there been a moment in month two, three, four, or whenever where you're like, man, I think I'm going to drink? So I got to say, no, I, I, I will get a craving here and there, or I'll get the thought that, oh, man, you know, this situation sucks. I need a drink or I want a drink. But for me, this time around, what I had to do differently to make it work is to say to myself that drinking is not an option. It's not optional. And, and reaching out to people when I have the feels or the case of the buckets or, you know, I know now that I don't have to walk alone in this journey. I have people who genuinely care about me. I can... I can pick up the phone, I can Marco Polo, I can post on Cafe RE. I have options. And to take that leap of faith that people actually do care about me has been the greatest gift because it's been incredible how everybody is so loving and so caring and reaching out. And for example, one of one of my dear friends it from that I met in Bozeman sent me flowers when I lost my cat. And it was just like, wow, how awesome is that? Oh, it's just amazing that people really care and reach out to you. Indeed, it sounds like connection has been a theme for you in these past eight months in community. Have you started to build that in-person community in New Mexico? 
So I've only been here two months now, so I'm starting to get to know my coworkers. I am just I'm this coming weekend. I'm joining a church locally for me to plug in to have you know my faith-based community, which is hugely important to me. So I'm I'm making those baby steps. It takes me a little bit of time to kind of navigate and and find where I need to land, but it takes time to build community locally. And so it's trying to find those opportunities where I can connect in healthy ways with people. So I'm starting to work on that. And and D, it was so much fun hanging out with you in Bozeman. What was your take on that retreat? What is something that you you learned at the retreat that you're going to implement on your journey? Well, there's a lot of takeaways from the retreat besides the awesome people. But for me, the meditation and the breath work were the two the two big things because meditating gets you know while I'm still in my own head it's helping to change my breathing rhythms uh, to slow my mind down to be more present because I can go high in anxiety pretty easily and I can let the stress of life kind of really affect that and I know I need to slow down and in the breath work that blew my mind. Um, uh, you, you had mentioned that people had uh, had experiences with people coming to visit, and I was one of those. I was visited by my mom and my niece, and it was freaky, but incredible sense of peace because for all the guilt that I've carried around about things that I've done in and around my drinking, I was told that I'm forgiving and it's okay. And I think that's the things that we need to hear in our to help us in this journey is forgiving ourselves and knowing that we are loved indeed last monday's interview was with lauren and we talked a little about her experience with breathwork how she was visited by her stepson who passed away and it was correct the shit went down in montana the following day i said i said hey guys who was visited last night by someone who's no longer on the planet and about 10 people raised their hands it was wild did not see that one coming um but like you said it's important we forgive ourselves. And it sounds like you were visited by a couple people that gave you that same message. How important is it to forgive yourself and also love yourself? So two the, those are two of the biggest challenges that I've faced in my life. I was adopted uh, when I was, was a baby. And so there's always that like hole because I wasn't wanted. So I always grew up as feeling like I didn't matter. Nobody cares about you. You know, even though that wasn't the truth, that's what my mind told me, right? And so forgiving myself for my actions while I drank, because, you know, like a lot of us, we've done stupid things and hurt people or, you know, said things that we shouldn't have said. And, you know, all those things that just perpetuate the myth that we're not enough, because it is a myth and it is a lie. And to love myself is to be able to be compassionate enough not to abuse myself with alcohol anymore, to be compassionate enough and say, you're worth more. And I, it's a process to learn to love myself, but I'm pretty damn awesome. Fact. Listeners, I can guarantee that. <laughs> D, D is an incredible person. And you bring smiles. I'm going to say like a 30-foot radius. All you got to do is just like be around D. You're, you're going to hear her laugh. And you're going to see her and just smile. So I got to say thank you for being a big part of my journey too. I'm excited when I see you sign up for our retreats. And I, and I look forward to connecting with you more in person. And yeah, I got one more question before we hit the rapid fire round. What are your thoughts on relapse? 
God, I hate that word. It breaks my heart when I see people, you know, having to post that they've relapsed and not because I think less of them or I'm judging them, but because I know how hard it is to stack days and how hard it is to keep getting back up and picking yourself back up and get back on the wagon and start over. And the shame that comes with that. Is relapse possible for anybody? Absolutely. Uh, we've all heard the stories. People who've been sober for years go back out for whatever reason. But I choose to believe that I won't be one of those people. But I also know I have to be mindful if I want to cultivate that future to stay connected and to, uh, to just continue on this journey and growing myself and being healthy and remembering that it's not an option and it's, uh, it's never worth it. it. It just really is just never worth it. I've had enough experience with it. I know what that's like. Been there, done that, and burned the t-shirt. <laughs> D, I'm also not a fan of the word relapse in my book. Uh, I, I have some other nomenclature for it. Field research is a big one. There's some valuable lessons that I learned when I went back and, and relapsed, shall we say. Um, and it doesn't have to be part of your journey. It is, but relapse has this like negative vibration to it. Like you're doing something wrong on your journey. It was a big part of my story and you're right. We have heard those stories. I just hit five years away from the shit alcohol. And right now it's in the back of my mind, but I'm not staying away from alcohol. That's not my strategy moving forward. It's deepening with connection. It's being mindful. The body is always going to let me where to go next. As long as I'm in tune with that stuff, alcohol isn't the issue. In fact, it never was. And it's not a no to alcohol. It's a yes to all those things you just mentioned, such as forgiving yourself, loving yourself, self-care, having fun with other people. You nail those things, not even nail those things. You just like, you just work on those things and you're going to be just fine. I love how you said that. So D, we have reached the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready, Paul. I love it. Here we go. Light bulb moment on this journey. Oh, frig. Um, <laughs> Did you say frig? I said frig. <laughs> frig. Frig. Uh, light bulb moment on this journey. You can do it. Yes, you can. What is a memorable moment a life without alcohol has given you? Oh, heck. Shoot. Uh, I would say Nashville and Bozeman. Uh, two awesome experiences of just getting outside your comfort zone and, you know, getting some massive growth. Uh, in a positive manner and not remembering I'm not, I'm not who I was with alcohol. I never was like you said. Uh, and, and just, just the reminder that alcohol is shit. <laughs> Nashville and Bozeman were awesome and there will be more. What's your favorite alcohol free drink? Oh, I'm kind of like digging this Waterloo sparkling water. I found a mango one and it's mm. got like a ginger back bite. Oh, it's delicious. You know, I had a drink this past weekend. It was uh, it was tonic and fresh cut uh, fresh cut peach. So peach Ooh. squares, tonic, and a lot of ice. Check it out; nice. it's pretty good. What are some of your favorite resources? Uh, well, you you know the number one. I know you've never heard this before, but Cafe Re. Oh, I love you, D. Uh, yeah. Well, it's it it was the thing that popped up when I was searching last year of like different resources to quit drinking and for support, and it has been exceptional. Hey, it works for me too. Hey, you know what? I think it has. Yeah. So that, and you know, reading a lot of the different books out there, uh, memoirs and that kind of stuff. And 
yeah, great resources and, and just community. What are some of your favorite books? Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, I think I read this book called Alcohol is Shit. That's <laughs> that was, I can't remember. Carolyn, is it Carolyn Gray or I don't know. There's I like Carolyn Knapp. Carolyn Knapp. I liked her book. I've read so many I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. And there's this new genre called quit lit. Like when somebody emailed me, they're like, yeah, I'm adding your book to my Quitlet connection or collection. It's like, what? <laughs> Quitlet. I absolutely love that term. That That's actually pretty pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, what's on your bucket list in an alcohol-free life, D? Well, I think we might have talked about this in Bozeman, writing a book. Oh, we did. We did. Yeah. yeah. Is it going to be about uh, – uh, what's it going to be about? Yeah, sure. If you can tell me that, um, I'll start writing it. <laughs> no, I uh, I have quite a list of things to write about, but uh, yeah, you'll you'll know. I don't know yet. Okay. Well, let me know if you need any help with that. I just went oh, through it. <laughs> yes, I will. And do you, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? Believe in yourself because it starts with that. Having faith, like what you've talked about, Paul, and we've discussed a lot uh, that faith that you actually know the next right choice, the next right decision, because the body will tell you. Every single time. And whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And before we depart, D, give listeners your own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line. Well, you know, there's so many, Paul. I, I, I got two. Uh, one's personal experience and one is uh, something that I've read that kind of just captures life with alcohol. Uh, for me, you might have a drinking problem if you are in Ireland flying solo and you walk into a bar in Dublin and there's uh, all guys and the only other gal is a waitress and you get proposed to by one of the guys in there and he puts his clattering on your finger. You go to the restroom, it falls off in the toilet, you have to fish it out and you have to break up with them. Wow, that marriage lasted probably 23 minutes. Uh, it was too long. <laughs> These are so fantastic. I love it, D. And, and thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Paul. Before we depart, I got one more announcement. This is Recovery Elevator Live in Denver, Colorado. This is going to take place June 11th to the 14th. I can't announce the location yet. I'm currently finalizing the contract with the hotel, but it's going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It is going to be a beautiful weekend. Cafe RE members get the first crack at registration for one week before it's opened up to the public. We are getting these events dialed in. That's so much fun. A lot of laughter. So much joy. I hope to see you there. And I'll let you know when this information is up on the website when registration goes live. Don't have those details figured out yet, but I couldn't wait. Um, I was always going to wait to announce all of it at once. But mark your calendars. Denver. 2020, June 11th to June 14th, Recovery Elevator is coming live. It is going to be transformative. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys.